0: That's noom.com to sign up for your trial today. Hello, and welcome to On the Farm, a pitcher podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I am your host, Lamar Gibson. And today's a reaction pod. So I'm recording this on Sunday, the 10th. So by the time you hear the opening series of the major league season should be just about wrapped up for most, if not all the teams. We're going to bounce around the league and look at the rookie performances that are on the book so far. First, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come right back looking at how prospects started their 2022 major league season.
1: All right. And we're
0: back. So let's jump right into it. I think everyone was absolutely ecstatic to see the number of prospects that were able to break camp with their major league teams coming out of spring training uh, from the big names to some mid-tier guys that won their position battles. And, you know, in my opinion, it's always better when there's young blood infused into the league to go with the existing superstars. So kicking things off is going to be the phenom himself. That's Julio Rodriguez. Outfielder for the Seattle Mariners and he had a bit of a shaky start to the season, had an offer on Friday with two strikeouts, but he did get his first hit yesterday. It was a hustle double and he ended up scoring the time run in a two run rally during the top of the ninth to give the Mariners the victory. And looking at his strikeouts from yesterday specifically, uh, they were all looking, um, all three of them. And honestly, two of them on replay, to me, look like balls, um, the third strike. So uh, that indicates to me that Rodriguez is actually doing a very good job starting his career off managing the strike zone, showing a sense of knowing not only what's a strike versus a ball, but which pitch he can actually do damage towards. Uh, Unfortunately, he's a rookie, so he's not going to get those calls as of right now. If you go back and look, it was uh, a couple of strikeouts. Uh, One was a couple of inches off the plate, one was a few inches up. So, you know, in, in a couple years, is he getting those calls properly? Uh, but for the time being, that's just the way of the lane. Um, this early in the season, it'll be telling to see if he starts to expand his zone to counter some of those pitches that, that were an inch or two off. So does he start to reach for some swing at some stuff that he normally wouldn't just because he's – he's feeling a little bit of pressure to um, swing at pitches that he thinks are balls but are actually being called strikes, Um, especially it looks like some of the early reporting on uh, umpire report cards. looks like maybe it's a a bit of a wider strike zone than what we've had in years past. Or does he stay confident and stay um, sure in his approach? And, you know, maybe we see some early strikeout numbers from him that we didn't expect, but it's really because he is commanding that strike zone and you know he, he's just going to have to move and roll with the punches of, of what the umpires are calling early we know with strike zones um until we get automated strike zones at least we know strike zones can definitely differ early in the season versus what starts to happen around you know the middle of the season and obviously how we end up so it'll be interesting to see does he change his approach at all or, or if he stays within himself and, and continues kind of playing ball The way he has and, you know, the way that he's been able to succeed thus far. The other phenom uh, that was able to break camp with his team is Bobby Wood Jr. And he was also in the middle of a rally for his team on opening day. He hit a RBI double for his first major league hit. And that actually gave the Royals the lead. And then he came around to score an insurance run later in the same inning. Um, Similar to Rodriguez, I'm interested to obviously see how Witt adjusts, but unlike J-Rod, it's less about um, being overly selective. And often when I was looking at kind of um, some video of his his recent at-bats, it looked like he was actually being a little bit less selective um, and actually reaching for some pitches that weren't really in a favorable area for a hitter. So – uh, there was a couple of ground outs that he had on some balls low that they weren't, it wasn't a two strike count. He wasn't trying to protect just looks like he kind of reached that something, maybe a little bit over eager. Um, there were a couple of balls up that he uh, hit for some, what ended up being kind of lazy fly balls. And I will have to say with his bat speed and his strength being at such a high level, some of those fly outs that he had actually, you know, could, turn into some extra base hits very easily Uh, if you saw Byron Buxton's at bat yesterday where he turned around 100 mile an hour 100 plus mile an hour uh, Andres Munoz pitch and almost like it was nothing I mean it, it was so quick and Bobby Wood Jr. definitely has similar sort of bat speed to be able to get around the balls very quickly so I could see him Uh, later on in the year, still going after some of those high fastballs, but being able to turn around into doubles and definitely into home runs. So, again, uh, adaptation is is always the name of the game for anybody at any level. Uh, Definitely for young guys coming into their debuts as Major League Baseball players, being able to adapt and adapt quickly is going to just help them be that much more successful. And the guy who was catching some of those flyouts, some of those lazy fly balls, Across the diamond is our next prospect that we're going to touch on, and that's outfielder Stephen Kwan of the Cleveland Guardians. And it feels like I've been talking about Kwan for almost two years, but it's actually only been about six months. Uh, He started both games for the Guardians thus far. He's doing exactly what we hope to see. He's had eight plate appearances, three hits, three walks. Uh, Haven't seen any stolen bases yet, but the OBB is off to a tremendous start. Uh, Obviously, he looks good in the outfield. That was never really a question at all. We were just all happy to see, um, you know, anybody that has been watching Quan uh, at the minor league level, especially after last year, we were just happy to see that uh, Cleveland, you know, got it and and saw the value and he broke camp with them and that they're actually putting him out there. Uh, Like I said, he hasn't stolen any bases yet. I think that's the other piece of the puzzle for his value that we were looking to see. Um, but he's been in a very valuable position in the batting order. He's been batting second. Obviously, Cleveland, there's not a bunch of thumpers like they were when they were competing a few seasons ago, but you still have Jose Ramirez um, to be able to, to bat in some runs, and I think they will still be able to generate some runs, especially against some of the lesser um, AL Central opponents that they're going to be playing. Uh, so I could see, especially if Quan remains in, that number two or even bat lead leadoff role, there's going to be some run generation that's going to add value for him if he's on your team or if you're looking to put him on your team. And like I said, the OBP, that's really um, the calling card, and that's definitely so far has been there in spades. So that's everything is breaking exactly the way Quan uh, managers wanted the year to start off. And staying in the AL Central, we talk about a guy who – Uh, as of right now, is still looking for his first major league knock. That's Tigers first baseman, Spencer Torkelson. And, you know, this is supposed to be kind of an overreaction pod. It's only been, you know, two games for the most part, maybe three for a couple of teams. Not really uh, uh, a whole lot of actual data, but, you know, we like to go crazy because we're so um, happy that baseball is back yet again. But I'm not going to overreact here with Torkelson. I'm not going to go all the way to, to panicking about him just yet. But It's interesting to note that we have seen some frustration from him uh, after a couple of these strikeouts, some some anger uh, that Torque has been showing after striking out uh, a couple of different times. And one of my uh, home league uh, managers actually noted uh, and he's he's a pro Cleveland guy. He's anti Tiger. So take that for what you will. But he pointed out that they don't have Aaron Bummers in the Pac-12 and and Bummer, Kimbrell. Some of the other White Sox relievers, uh, Graveman, I think, was one of the other strikeouts. Definitely, you could see the the difference in um, that arm talent that Togerson has, has seen in the past versus what he is going to be seeing now in the big leagues. Doesn't mean he can't adjust. Doesn't mean that he can't adapt. But um, just early on in some of those strikeouts, he's, he's not looking very comfortable in these early at-bats. And then you do start to wonder, is he going to start to press somewhat? Is he going to start to try to really seek out um, to to make himself known? And not just getting the first hit, but just overall, uh, you know, right now he's batting in the eighth spot, Um, probably the lowest he's batted, you know, I would imagine since, you know, sometime in Little League or something of that nature. So, you know, definitely looking to make his mark and, and live up to some expectations, not only outside, but, internal expectations, I'm sure, you start to wonder if he presses. Um, I don't foresee. I'm not, again, I'm not going to over, overly react And um, seeing that there's going to be like a, a clinicesque esque slump um, for Torkelson. But I do think it is interesting and, and worth noting how the Tigers respond if he still continues with, you know, not necessarily – looking comfortable at the plate. So, again, it's not so much hits versus strikeouts in and of itself, but just the look of comfortability at the plate and looking like he's able to make those uh, in-between adjustments from pitch to pitch, not just at-bat to at-bat. And if they're not seeing that not seeing it in the way that maybe they would hope to in Detroit, you know, how do they respond? Um, You know, again, to use uh, Jared Kalinick as an example, you know, do they send them down? Now, the difference between the two there is, you know, the Mariners at least had uh, in, in last season, they at least had the excuse of saying, technically speaking, you know, Clinic's never played ball above double A. He never faced triple A pitching. You know how much of a difference that made? I think it's still kind of up to debate. We did see some some bad stance changes and whatnot from Clinic. But, you know, they could at least use that as an excuse for sending him down to help him clear his head. And obviously, they didn't start him uh, in the beginning of the season. And, and of course, that's kind of infamous at this point. But with Detroit and with Torkelson, he's done AAA. um, And he's pretty much torched it. Uh, the, The batting average wasn't super high, but everything else was there. There's really nothing else in AAA for him. So you don't really see that being helpful and him sitting on the bench so what you know miguel cabrera can get more at bats at first that's not really helping anybody so do they just kind of play him through it i will say for detroit if this is any indication and, and obviously the the talent profile is extremely different but they started a to start their season off last year he started off red hot and then he went through uh, a very big slump that one would expect from really any rookie, let alone somebody as young as Badu who hadn't uh, played in A ball either. And they they played him out. Now, some of that, again, is not apples to apples. Some of that is they were forced to because Badu is a Rule 5 draft pick, so it's kind of easy to lose it. They have to keep him on the roster uh, for the entire season, so they might as well give him the ABs. But Again, if that's any sort of precedent, if you can do that with Badu, even with the sort of logistical um, tie ins, why not do the same thing with Torkelson? So we'll see uh, how the Tigers respond. We'll see how Torkelson responds again. You know, who knows? Maybe later today he goes three for four, gets the first hit out the way and that's all it takes. Um, and if not, we'll we'll, we'll return to him uh, later on in the month and, and take it from there. And we kind of wrap things up in the AL Central by talking about two Minnesota Twins pitchers. So one made his major league debut last year. And, and I know this part is mostly looking at guys making their debut for the first time. But I, I did want to highlight this particular pitcher. The second Twins pitcher is actually making his first appearance this year or, or made his first appearance this year. So we're talking about Joe Ryan and Yoan Duran. I want to make sure I get that pronunciation right. Johan Duran. Um, Ryan kind of showed a little bit uh, more of the same from 2021. His uh, fastball sat around 93. His command was kind of off and on. He walked four, but he also struck out four. He only ended up giving up two runs, uh, but that was off of a huge homer by Mitch Haniger. And looking at that pitch, just getting a sense of, of how we got there, it was a fastball that didn't have enough run uh, inside, so it ends up being kind of middle in, thigh high, and that's a mistake pitch to most hitters, and, and definitely Haniger made him pay. So you start to wonder, looking at scouting reports, looking at last year, obviously, um, him being involved in the trade that brought him over to the Twins, some of uh, his outings from last year and then looking at, again, this is the first start of the season. So overreaction, of course, we're going to say it again. But, you know, is this going to become the norm for Ryan where he's sort of working in and out of trouble? He's kind of dancing uh, through the raindrops, trying not to get wet. And if you think that the answer is yes to that, you know, how do you start to sort of discount his value? And do you even start to, consider moving on from him if you're in like a 12 to 15 team league do you start to think about just kind of unloading him and getting off the ryan train soon and and trying to get get a different hitter or get somebody else in return and and have him be somebody else's problem um as far as discounting him you know is he somebody that you go from thinking oh this could be like a solid middle of the rotation guy for me fantasy wise Uh, again depending on how your roster is constructed and do you just automatically seem like, okay, he's got to be a end guy. Cause I don't know if he's going to get enough innings to really make the impact that I need. And, you know, if he's walking or giving up uh, hard contact as much as he's getting strikeouts, those ratios are going to kind of counterbalance. They're going to kind of cancel each other out uh, in, in a lot of cases. So, you know, he may not get you the quality starts or the wins, because we don't know how good the Twins are going to be this year anyway. So you may not get you enough in those categories. Strikeouts, he never was super big on strikeouts, but he was always kind of expected to be decent enough. But again, like I said, any sort of ratios, he might be giving it all right back if he's giving up the sort of hard contact and the walks like he did in his most recent start. Now for Duran, you have to like what you saw from him in relief. He comes on uh, in relief of Ryan pitches two innings, no runs, two hits, a walk, had four strikeouts, and also super efficient, 31 pitches. So that's a half, actually less than less than half of the amount of pitches that Ryan pitched to get to his four strikeouts. So he was showing pretty good command of his offerings. He did show some fastball control uh, that needed some tinkering. He's done what seems to be labeled as a sinker. As a two seam fastball, but it was definitely going up in the zone on a couple of those strikeouts. It was at 100 miles an hour, so it kind of didn't matter. The hitters couldn't get around on it anyway. But you do want to see, obviously, if he if it is a sinker, you want to see that exploding down in the zone, um, and, and not up where that can lead to to some some fatal mistakes. Uh, but on the completely positive note, he was dropping a curveball that was just hammering guys. So he gets uh, Kalinick and Rodriguez, so two guys we just mentioned, uh, with the curveball to strike them out, and they were completely frozen. When you can throw 100 miles an hour uh, and then break off a tight curve, so this isn't a a big 12 to 6, it's not not, uh, something with a big hump in it, but something that's pretty tight, and you can get that as a call strike. So he was breaking it off in the zone, not just down and away where guys are chasing at it, but you can actually get that as a call strike. That's a deadly combination. You have to like what you see out of him. And quite honestly, uh, I I think it was a great outing for him. And I really like the idea of the Twins running him out of the bullpen kind of first before he gets eased into the rotation. I do think his ceiling, he is a starter as things stand right now. I think he has everything that you would want to see for a starting pitcher. But I like the idea, and we've seen it with the Brewers. They're kind of doing it right now with um, Ashby and we've seen it from, from them and some other teams before, but I like giving him his couple of innings here and there just to get his feet wet. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be a set regimen. So he doesn't have to be necessarily piggybacking with certain guys, even though that I think about it, it will be interesting if they do kind of pair him up with Ryan, given the, the sort of efficiency troubles that we just talked about. But, you know, in, in, in any case, um, I really like what I saw from Duran. I, I like to see him again, continue to get his feet wet. And just like I said, the little critique that I'll have is just that fastball placement. If it is indeed a, a two seamer and you want that to be down, I, I would like to see him have a little bit more command of that. So it is down. But again, when it's going at hundred with the movement that it had, even though the movement was up, it is difficult uh, for a lot of major league hitters uh, to get around on it and make any sort of good contact. So the last thing I will say uh, on the sort of Ryan and Duran note is it starts to also make me wonder, do we see them flip flop and kind of switch roles? Do we see Duran start to have more starts and maybe they run Ryan out of the bullpen? Again, it's been one start, you know, one one start, one appearance in the case of Duran, but you know, these are the questions that you want to you want to ask yourself if you have these guys or, or if you're looking at these guys You want to ask yourself these questions early, because if and when these moves start to get made, you don't want to be taken off guard. You want to have a game plan. So if you have Ryan on your team, you want to have a game plan for what you need from him. And if you're not getting that, how to how you're going to move quickly, uh, because the other thing is once once that information becomes publicly available and obvious Your other managers are going to know and now you're not you're not going to be dealing from a place where you have leverage. Right. If an announcement gets made in May that Joe Ryan is now going to be coming out of the bullpen and you have Ryan on your team and now you want to move on from him, you have zero leverage now because everybody's going to know, oh, you're trying to dump him because now he's he's not the starting pitcher that you thought he was. So you want to keep an eye on these things. Again, you don't have to necessarily overreact, but you do want to start forming a game plan of if this then What are you going to do about it? We're going to continue on in the American League with Josh Lowe of the Tampa Bay Rays. And Lowe was kind of um, almost down to the very last minute addition to the opening day roster. And he's a guy that obviously has been um, one of many Tampa Bay prospects that has been talked about over the last few years. And we've been kind of waiting and waiting to see if and how he was going to break into their roster and their lineup. He has started uh, the first two games for Tampa. Uh, so that's obviously a good note. He's got a couple of hits, a couple of walks, nothing, you know, super amazing as of yet. But the two things for low that you want to be watching early on is you want to watch for those strikeouts right now. He only has one and you want to watch for stolen bases. Uh, and right now he d- doesn't have any stolen bases recorded, but the strikeouts, are because the hit tool for Lowe has been a source in my uh, opinion of some divisiveness. I've seen some reports where people say, Hey, it's perfectly fine. You know, it's average enough. It's nothing amazing, but it'll see him through as a major leaguer, given all the other things that he can do very well. And then I've, I've seen and had conversations with people online that are still a little worried because of those checkout numbers that you have seen. He's consistently been at the 24, 25% clip, Uh, or worse, essentially, at just about every level um, in the minors. So people wonder, you know, is that strikeout rate and his approach, is that going to generate enough contact for those other tools to turn into skills and actually, you know, help him turn into the major league that we want him to be? If he can keep the strikeouts down, and again, it's only been, I think it was seven or eight uh, appearances for him, does only have the one strikeout but if he can just keep them under control and for me for a guy like that if he can keep it around the 24 25 percent rate i can live with it because ideally that should allow him to make enough contact he, he may never get into you know the 270s as a batting average but i'll take 260s from him and the power that he has and that also leads me into the the other thing i want to talk about which is if he gets the green light on the base pass, that is, you know, potential. And I think I've talked about this before, the potential for a 2020 type of guy. Between 60, um, and he's you know, getting every day at bats, that to me is gonna play. So we may be able to finally see the the five tool player that we've been hearing about if that hit tool actually is at that level. And if not, I mean again it's the Rays. We know they'll flip flop swap, move guys all around, um, kind of at a moment's notice. So just something, you know, early if you're a guy who has been, if you're a person who has been um, waiting for Josh Lowe, he maybe, you know, he's been kind of in your minor league spots for a few years now, and, and finally he's got that call up. You can bump him up out of the minors. Just continue to, to watch how things play out. Watch how Tampa Bay uses him. You know, Does he get stuck in any sort of weird funky platoons or anything of that nature? Or is it just letting him run? Letting him go uh, on a day-to-day basis? We'll move from the American League and we'll actually finish in the NL West. And we're going to talk about C.J. Abrams of the Padres and Seth Beer of the Diamondbacks. So starting with Abrams, uh, the stat line won't tell the whole story here, but I'd say he's off to a very good start. So he started at shortstop in both games. He looked very comfortable, just like we kind of uh, imagined he would, just as comfortable as he looked in minor leagues. So that's great to see just from a post-injury standpoint, as well as the general being a young player in the major leagues for the first time standpoint. And, you know, it's, it's always helpful to see a young player settle in from the defensive standpoint, Get a few balls hit at them early on, establish some confidence there that, you know, they know they at least have that part down pat. And he did get his first hit out of the way and essentially had a stolen base as well. He got a little aggressive in the slide. He came off the bag, so he got tagged out, but he he had the lead. He had the read. It. It was a done deal, uh, if not for coming off the bag. So you like to see that the Padres aren't messing around with his positioning. I know that that was a big question. Are they going to run him out into the outfield? You know, Is he going to play right field or short or left or what? So as it stands right now, they're not messing with his positioning. They're keeping him at his sort of natural position at short. And he's not afraid to use his speed already. So it looks like they're giving him a green light of some sort, which you love to see. To me, he's very cheap source of stolen bases in redraft leagues. And, and I know we're not a redraft pod, and I'll leave it to the to the professionals there. But to me, if he's getting the green light already to steal and he's able to get on base enough, he's a guy that can get you 12 to 14 bags in the redraft league. I think that that plays, if not more. The question to all that, and bringing it back to the dynasty standpoint, is, of course, what happens once – the Padres have Fernando Tatis Jr. back and healthy in their lineup. What does that do to their roster construction? You know, do they have Tatis resume shortstop duties? And does that now start to push Abrams into the outfield? Is he picking up at bats after Profar, you know, in left and you can't really even put him in a platoon because Profar is a switch hitter. So it doesn't really make sense to platoon them, even though obviously Profiles doesn't have the ceiling, of course, that Abrams has at this point in time in his career, but just from a general standpoint, kind of mix and match their positioning now. And the other option or another option is, do they pick up from last year with Tatis in center and then keep Abrams at short? Do they move Grissom from center to right? And now are they juggling... Uh, Will Myers and Luke Voigt as kind of their two DHS. So it's the, and, and I'm sure there's some other um, roster construction sort of of pathways and, and ways to kind of put these puzzle pieces together, but it's still murky in San Diego for the long term. but in the short term, Abrams is fitting in well, you have to like what you're seeing from him. And like I said, if you look at just the video of him defensively, you see everything that you want to see there. I know that doesn't always get a lot of play in fantasy, uh, you know, because you're, you're not necessarily seeing stats come directly from it. But uh, again, it should give you, if you have Abrams on your team, it should give you some real um, good feelings. Obviously he, he looked good in spring training, but to see him in actual, you know, regular season action at the major league level and making all the plays without any sort of hesitation or um you know lack of confidence that's great to see there because ideally that will carry over into the plate as well and lastly i imagine you all heard or saw about this it was on national beer day and you have Seth beer going deep for his first career walk-off so you know just one of those great baseball stories things just lining up and we heard all, all season about how Seth Beer was probably, with maybe the exception of Juan Yepes, Beer may have been the one prospect who was going to benefit the most from the DH coming to the NL. It's not really a first baseman, not ideal for playing out in outfield, either corner spots, but he can hit. So, a, you know, a, a DH profile from the get go. And once we knew DH was coming to the NL, he was one of the top prospects being tabbed to be able to really reap the rewards of that. And if he can continue to rake, there's really not much competition in Arizona to take a spot as is, as a DH. I mean, um, they have Christian Walker. They seem to, to like him at first and, you know, Peralta is back. He's looking okay, but that's your left fielder. There's really not a whole lot of guys that you can look around on that roster and see really pushing beer out of the way as long as beer hits a decent amount. And again, you're not even looking for the greatest average from him. You're really just looking for all power, all extra base hits. So he's got one on the year already. If he can continue uh, to, to go that route, um, you know, 14 to 16 team leagues, he may still be available in the wire. So you want to keep an eye out on that. And if he can get hot in this month, He's a good cheap ad to pump up your home run and your run categories, even if it's just for a little while. And that's even in spite of him stinging your batting average, or even if you're in an OBP league, he probably is going to hurt more than help that OBP uh, overall. But again, uh, you know, he's a guy that every year we always have the one sort of older prospect uh, that just sort of, Catches fire. You think about Mercedes last year. There, there's always at least one, if not two, guys that just sort of just take the ball and run with it, even if it's for a short amount of time. And sometimes, especially if you're playing dynasty and you're in uh, a roto league, you just want that bump. You just want to get that sort of extra bump in your categories to set your season off in the right path. While you're waiting for your regulars to get warmed up or come back healthy or whatever the case might be. So it it might be worth taking a look at beer if you're in those types of leagues and he is available. And that's a real quick rundown of prospect action. I know that it's not exhaustive. There's a few other guys that um, if they're not making their debut, they're still in that prospect realm. Uh, I had Joey Bart on the list before I took him off the list, but he's looked pretty good so far. And I also, again, am recording this episode on Sunday morning, so no, I did not forget about Hunter Green, I did not forget about uh, Helio Ramos, but uh, unfortunately, I won't have time to include them this go-round, because I'll be done my recording and editing, ideally, um, before they actually get their starts today, but Green, obviously, is starting today. Ramos got word last night that he uh, is getting promoted, so will be with the Giants today and I am looking forward to watching both of their starts, uh, seeing Green start and seeing how Ramos looks with the Giants. Um, So we'll have to touch on them in another episode. And for me as far as uh, what I have coming next, we are now again fully in minor league as well as major league season. So for me, I'm looking at the minors. I will be having a minor league player and pitcher of the week column on a weekly basis on pitcher list. I will also be having a major league farm system power rankings that's a weekly column. So not the you know at the end of the year or just start the new season sort of columns that you're seeing from other places. We're going week by week. So I'm really going to have to dig in, take a look at all the prospects, who's doing well and how that may affect the overall farm system for all thirty of these major league teams, but both of those will be weekly columns that will get started this upcoming week. So keep an eye on those. Outside of that, as always, want to let you know that this podcast and all of our Pitcher List pods are on the Pitcher List Network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of Pitcher List for you to find, listen, and subscribe. Again, you can find me online. I did put out a question earlier today looking for um, some mailbag questions. So feel free to send me some prospect related questions. You can find me on Twitter at InsideFastBall, capital I, capital F. You can also send me any sort of mailbag related uh, questions at my email address, which is at Inside Fastball Newsletter So that's all one word Inside Fastball Newsletter At gmail.com And I'm looking to collect those questions So we can have a mailbag episode Sometime in the upcoming future With that I hope you all enjoy the rest of your day.